Let's join in a spirit of prayer in this season of thanksgiving. Spirit of life and love, we come together in reverence and gratitude for the abundance of the natural world that sustains us, for the fruits of the earth and the animals of the field, for gifts of love and laughter and smiles, for the warm embrace of loved ones, for homes and family that fills them, for new life that causes our hearts to open ever wider, for the moments of grace, oftentimes preceded by fear, grief, or loss, that have miraculously taken our lives to new, compassionate, and wondrous places. But what if giving thanks comes hard and hope seems beyond our grasp? Help us to remember there are people who are walking through the hard times with us. As Abraham Heschel reminds us, just to be is a blessing. Just to live is holy. For this and so much more, we live in thanks. Let us hold this moment in silence. So may it be, and amen. Our ancient reading is a quote attributed to the Buddha, Gautama. Let us rise up and be thankful. For if we didn't learn a lot today, at least we learned a little. And if we didn't learn a little, at least we didn't get sick. And if we got sick, at least we didn't die. So let us all be thankful. A somewhat more modern reading is an account of gratitude found in the poem The Guest House by 13th century Sufi mystic and poet Rumi. It's translated by Coleman Barks. This, hum this being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has, yet, each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Who'd have ever thought the Buddha had a great sense of humor? Thank you, Karen and Jessica, it was beautiful. And I guess, you know, if, if I ever go, I'd like to go singing as well. So. so the Thanksgiving holiday is a wonderful and very odd event on the calendar of American commemorations. It's the one holiday consisting of religious themes that's embraced by the widest majority of American people. Unitarians, Jews, Christians, Muslims, those of no particular faith tradition, 
Tea partiers and blue wavers, blue-collared and white-collared workers, urban, suburban, exurban, and rural folks of all genders and ages, people of every race, ethnicity, and cultural group. Most all of us recognize the need for the expression and the celebration of Thanksgiving. On the other hand, the actual event we're commemorating, the first Thanksgiving at Plymouth Rock, is something of a mixed bag of differing cultural perspectives and resulting values. Seen through the eyes of Native Americans and because what they see is as much the truth as anything that we celebrate, we have to at least question the integrity of a holiday that commemorates the subjugation and the oppression of their ancestors at the hands of the invading immigrants from England. Nations of the world, humanity, may one day outgrow our need for invasion and conquest, but the evidence of that end doesn't yet warrant a soon approaching declaration of success. And in the early 17th century, there was even less evidence of it than now. It was generally considered then among the empires and the nations of the world that conquest was the world's rather unfortunate way of doing business with itself. Because the victors always wrote the history, we have been rendered ours through the lens of imperial privilege. That doesn't invalidate all of history. It merely gives an an accounting of the prejudice with which that history is written. That said, Native Americans have about as much to celebrate on Thanksgiving as they do on Columbus Day, which is not very much. And yet most of us still consider that there is good reason for our celebration, still consider that there is good cause for it, that it is somehow deep and meaningful in our lives. And to locate those more noble ideals that we celebrate, we need to look beyond the injustices inflicted upon the first peoples of our lands. I don't mean to disregard the abuses inflicted upon them in this early national narrative. The abuses were horrendous. But I do mean to recognize that if we were to dismiss the value of all historic episodes that include gross injustice, there would be no history. There would be no history upon which to continue to build the kingdom of heaven on earth, upon which to continue in the creation of the beloved community. So then not forgetting the more sordid part of our story, but looking beyond it, what we find is the capacity of our pilgrim forebears, even in the midst of their own great losses and challenges and adversities, just to offer thanks. Their defiant act of thanksgiving can be inspiring to us all. What value might we redeem from that original event, that celebration of Thanksgiving so dear to so many of us, gives us cause to remember? And redemption has many meanings, and it's used here as the process by which we glean from our experience deeper and greater meaning that connects us more closely to our lives and to one another and to the world around us. There's a great deal of value beyond reasons for family and friends to gather for feasting, and that's a great value in itself. But there's, there's value beyond that that we might gather in our redemption of the story of the pilgrims at Plymouth Rock. It said that for each dwelling hut that was built in that first year from 1620 to 1621, those pilgrims also dug seven graves There were seven deaths in the community for each home that was built. Every member of the community had been tested and stretched to their very foundation. They had endured losses of those whom they loved and depended upon, their mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, their children. 
and other family members as well as their much-loved neighbors. They had endured hunger and disease and bitter cold. It was nasty. And after all that and still with great uncertainty before them, the survivors at Plymouth Rock gathered to give thanks. They sat down with their native neighbors for a three-day celebration of thanksgiving. It's generally considered that because they had survived, the pilgrims were grateful, and that may be some of it, but I think it's mostly backwards. I suspect that it was because they gave thanks, because their experience of heartfelt gratitude was a habitual part of their daily lives. Because of that, because of that gratitude, they were able to survive. The significance of their celebration was less about ritualized payment of homage to a grand deity and more of a song of the heart, a pure expression of appreciation just for being alive. I have a hard time imagining any God who needs to be thanked for being God. I much more imagine the human spirit imagine, uh, needing to express itself in some soulful manner. We celebrate Thanksgiving Day this week. We have holidays in order to remember our history, in order to create traditions, and at least most often in order to help us to be mindful of values that we would want to be mindful of every day. I love Thanksgiving because of, of those things. Our history, if we are to be authentic about it, keeps us honest. Our traditions, if we keep them alive and growing, connect us to important persons, people who have died, people who are still living, people who might not even yet be born, significant persons. And more, Thanksgiving reminds us always to be grateful, that humbling activity of the human heart which opens us to the possibility that life is about far more than pain, to the possibility that we're not here alone, to the potential that life itself is a blessing and that life continues to be filled with blessings all along the way. The Roman philosopher Cicero said that gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. The Thanksgiving holiday reminds us of all of that. I recently came across a quote that summarizes best what I think might be the essence of gratitude and Thanksgiving. It's attributed to a 19th century French journalist and author, Alphonse Carr. He wrote, some people grumble that roses have thorns. I'm grateful that thorns have roses. Are, are you familiar with that quote? I had not heard it before, but I, I love it. I'm grateful that thorns have roses. We are regularly surrounded by all kinds of people fetching about their circumstances. Very often, I suppose, in order to keep the world's quantity of complaining and sufficient supply, even some of us here, despite perhaps our best intentions, may take turn within that larger ongoing chorus of lamentations. Say it ain't so, but I know that it is. Alphonse Carr reminds us that we don't have to be a part of global whining. Instead, we can stand in witness to that which is beautiful and valuable and meaningful. We can do that, he assures us, even in the midst of those who would just as soon welcome us to their weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. George Bernard Shaw put it uh, similarly, I don't want to be a feverish clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making me happy. 
On another level, level, Alphonse Carr is reminding us of a challenge that is ultimately a core element of our human experience. He goes on to prescribe a remedy for addressing that challenge as well. Some people grumble that roses have thorns. I am grateful that thorns have roses. He doesn't say that roses don't have thorns, nor that he just ignores those thorns, denies that they're there. His roses have thorns that prick and scratch just like everyone else's. He simply says that he's not going to allow himself to be limited by those thorns. Beyond that, he's thankful even for the thorns because they are a part of that which provides beauty, provokes awe, and engenders gratitude, leading us, I would add, to service. None of us gets through this journey we're on unscathed. Every one of us gets all scratched up on our hands and arms, on our ankles and our shins, because roses do have thorns and because life does have pain, pain and suffering. Just being born is a painful experience, and then there's plenty more pain, separation, and suffering that follows. Is, is that all there is, or are there roses to redeem the scratches? Is that all there is, or is there joy to redeem the pain and suffering? What might be a tenable path to joy anyway? We talked about this in our five questions class the other night. French philosopher Albert Camus assured us that the most certain way to miss out on any chance for happiness in our lives is to seek that happiness. The late educator and American philosopher William Arthur Ward suggests, though, that there is indeed a path to happiness and that the foundation of that path is gratitude, not the desire for happiness, but the want of gratefulness. Gratitude can transform common days, he wrote, into thanksgivings, turn routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. Some people grumble that roses have thorns. I am grateful that thorns have roses. Our own elder and pillar of the congregation, Joe Thomasberger, conveyed a similar sentiment in our class the other night. And I did, by the way, for those of you who are part of the five questions class, get his permission to share this. Joe said that life is uncertain. The only thing, he said, the only thing I know for sure is that life is uncertain, and so we should be sure to eat our dessert first. <laughs> we can spend our time being distraught, he was suggesting, or we can find that there is still plenty of sweetness that's worth our while. So here's the thing. Whatever the pilgrims went through, whatever the Native Americans went through at those pilgrims' hands, we too live in frightening and difficult times. Terrorism abounds. Our planet is in the gravest of perils, not from outside threats of intergalactic collision, but as a result of how we, how humanity, has conquered the environment for such short-term gains, all the while still praying for some kind of long-term relationship. Ideologies across our country and around the world attest to incivility and impasse and imminent implosion of social structures. We too live in difficult and frightening times. The Rose Garden is full of thorns. I've had the opportunity over the years and quite a bit recently, an experience that I appreciate greatly to sit with many of you who have been or are up against odds that are really very hard for others to even imagine. You know who you are. 
There are people in our community in this room facing fatal or serious illness, family members with terminal or grave sickness, lost loves and very broken, broken hearts, unspeakable abuses, lost jobs, interrupted incomes or careers, careers that were ended too soon or that really never had a chance to begin, opportunities stolen or squandered, the rose garden is full of thorns. There are those of us here as well who face no particular monumental challenge, but none of us here is without cause for concern or for trepidation in our lives or in the world. The garden is full of thorns for all of us, for some of us more than others, yes, but in the end, for all of us. None of us does get through this journey unscathed. Every one of us gets scratched up because roses have thorns and because life does have pain and suffering. Being born, just being born, is a painful experience and there is so much pain and separation and suffering that follows. And so we might well ask, are the roses enough to redeem the scratches? Is there joy enough to redeem the suffering? Gratitude is what leads us, as it did those pilgrims 400 years ago, towards the answer, yes. How wonderful it is, then, that thorns have roses, making both a blessing. How wonderful it is that whatever pain, whatever separation, whatever challenge we might face in life, there is still a larger potential for love and connection, for redemption and for joy, making all of those a blessing. Gratitude for life and for whatever is in it is what leads us toward the answer, yes. Yes, we do have enough. 13th century German theologian and philosopher, mystic Meister Eckhart put it this way. If the only prayer you said was, thank you, that would be enough. So may you always find that you have enough. May you find that the thorns are redeemed by roses, that the suffering is redeemed by your gratitude. May you always, always find it in your heart to give thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. Amen. Hallelujah, indeed. May we each know more fully and deeply the blessings of our heart's seasons, the rich inward turning of winter, the spring's lush renewal, the verdant steady growth of summer, and now the autumn's rich harvest of blessings upon blessing. Through the beautiful roses and their challenging thorns, may our hearts find peace and lead our voices and actions in ongoing expressions of awe and gratitude and service.